Well, amen. Thank you. Go ahead and be seated if you would. Well, I'm glad that you're here today. Hey, guys, can you turn the, can the house lights go up a little bit more, or is that about all it can do, Bubba? That's it? Well, I just want to be sure no one falls asleep out there. Gang, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm glad you're here today. And I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to turn with me to Psalm 32, okay? Psalm 32, we, uh, this morning, we're going to finish up a little series on David and Bathsheba. We've been looking at David's account of the tragic sin of his life. We've uh, talked about the sin. We've talked a little bit about the sentence, the fallout. As I uh, was reading back through the last couple weeks and kind of preparing for today, I, it kind of hit me, God uh, hides nothing from us, does he? And David opens his heart totally to us. And let me tell you what I want to do today. Um, I want to talk with you a little bit about the blessing of forgiveness, the, the lifting of sin. And I, I'm excited. I'm a little intimidated by it because I'm not sure I can get out <clears throat> what my heart is uh, telling me, what my heart's feeling, okay? Uh, but I'm excited to get it out, try to get it out anyway, because I think the greatest word in the Christian library is the word forgiven, okay? Now, listen, we got some great terms. Uh, pardon, pardon from sin, ransom, great term, adoption, a wonderful term, isn't it? But I want to tell you what I think, for me anyway, the greatest term in my library is the word, the idea, forgiveness. Or let me make it personal, forgiven. I think probably it is because I, uh, I know my life pretty well, and I know what I deserve. I know where I've been in my past. For God to forgive me it blows me away. For God to reclaim me blows me away. For God to not take my family from me, blows me away. And so I'm going to be speaking from my heart, my emotion, as we look at Scripture today, because I think it's the greatest word in my life. And I believe perhaps it's the greatest word in the Christian's library. And the reason it's so great is because it's the word for grace. You can't have forgiveness without God's grace, and you can't experience God's grace until you, first of all, see the law that condemns us and the sentence of the law that we deserve. Over the last few weeks, we've talked all about David, haven't we? We, we shared with you I, last week for sure, maybe even the week before that, that there was absolutely nothing that could be done for David. 
He had broken the law. He broke the Ten Commandments in three different places. He even said, if there was sacrifice, I would do it. But there was no sacrifice. All he could do was fall upon God. And he did. And God forgave him. But it took him a year to get there. I guess from last week, the thing that perhaps grabbed my heart the most is that David knew he was a dead man, didn't he? Lust, adultery, murder, the sentence was death. He knew it. And he lived for a year waiting for the axe to fall. How would you like to live that way, huh? It affected everything in his life, all of his kingdom, his family, everything it affected. And yet when the confrontation came, he said, I've, for, I've sinned. Nathan said, you're forgiven. And that's what it was. I want you to stand with me. Psalm 32 is the last song that we're going to look at. It's kind of the capstone in my heart for this whole tragic events of David's life. We looked at 2 Samuel. We saw what he did. We looked at, looked at Psalm 51, and we, we talked about his expression of it. He, he hadn't sung for a year, and now he begins to sing. Psalm 32 is forgiveness in its fullness. And let me tell you what, let me, I know you're standing. That'll keep you from sleep. <laughs> uh, let me tell you what my heart is today. Church, let me tell you what my goal is. My goal is that when you walk out of here, you'll be able to say, I'm forgiven. Totally. Unashamedly. By grace through the blood of the Lord Jesus, I stand complete in the sight of my God. Forgiven. Psalm 32, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Hang on to impute, because we're going to deal with it deeply today. How many of you have never heard of the doctrine of imputation? How many have heard of the doctrine of imputation? How many of you are scared to raise your hand? We're going to deal with it, but it's going to get technical. I may lose you. If I do, it's okay. It's an incredible term, okay? Blessed is a man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, notice how he explains himself. When I kept silent about my sin, that was a year my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My energy or my vitality was drained away as with the fervor heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin, my iniquity I didn't hide. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. 
Therefore, because of that, he says, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. When you get forgiven and you know you're forgiven, guess what happens? You start praying again. Huh? He had lost his prayer. Oh, but he got it back. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Guess what? Guess what happens when you get forgiven? You start singing again. Huh? I don't want to get ahead of myself, but gang, when's the last time you sang? Hmm? When's the last time you sang? I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be as the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they would not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout, when's the last time you shouted? Shout for joy, all of you who are upright in heart. Well, thank you. Be seated, okay? Now I want you to take your hand and stick it right there in the psalm. And I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Now you ask, why would you do that? Well, when Paul was writing the book of Romans, when he got to chapter 4, Paul began to write about God granting righteousness to sinners. And as Paul was writing those wonderful words in Romans chapter 4 about God's granting righteousness, which involves imputation we'll talk about, he quotes David. In Romans 4, verses 6 through 8, Notice what he says. Just as David also speaks of the blessings on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. That word credit is the word imputation that we saw in the Old Testament. Okay, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord Notice, will not take into account. That's the same word. That's the word for imputation. So verse 6, God imputes. Verse 8, God does not impute. And we're going to talk about that today. Now, I think we ought to pray for a moment, okay? Because I need help today. This is deep stuff, and I have a tendency to bog. It's my nature. I've been a bogger all my life. Okay? Father, don't let us bog today. Help me, God. This is incredible. God, this is beyond Tom's understanding and beyond Tom's ability. But God, if there's one thing I've come to understand, it's forgiveness. And I hope today, my goal today, God, is for my people to understand it when they leave here. So they're that there can be a, 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 a song in their heart, a shout on their lips, a prayer from their mouth to He, the only one, 
who through grace can grant forgiveness. In his name, the wonderful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I was in a conference years ago, and the guy that was leading the conference, I don't even know who led it, but I remember something he said. And he said that he felt like the hardest thing for a Christian to do was a failure to grant to others unconditional forgiveness. But more than that, a failure of Christians to receive unconditional forgiveness from God. I agree with that. For me, I can grant it easy. Uh, I don't know why. Maybe it's because I know how bad I am, you know. But when I've been hurt, I can, I don't, I, gang, I've, I've shared this with you before. Before God, I've never gone to bed mad or angry at anybody. You know, I've been hurt and mad. But before the sun sets, I usually deal with it. My issue hasn't been to grant it. But I have to tell you, my struggle has been sometimes to receive it. It's much harder to forgive myself than it is to talk about God's forgiveness. But if you're going to get in tune to God and understand the imputation here that he's going to be talking about, not only must you give it, but you've got to receive it. And when you receive it from God, then you can apply it to your life, and it will radically change your life. In fact, we're going to be talking about radical truth today. And the reason we are is because it's so hard for us to get our head around grace. It's so hard for us to really believe and accept the fact that everything in our life has been forgiven. Everything in our life will be forgiven. Do you understand that the cross of Jesus and the blood sacrifice of the atonement of Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sin, past, present, and future? You understand that? And until you not only understand it, but apply it and accept it and live it, you'll always have these struggles in your life. Now, let's look at, let me give you some terms. Whether it's Psalm or Romans, there's some common terms I want to define, okay? First of all, the word forgiven. Let's, let, let me define it. He says, blessed are those whose transgressions or lawless deeds, Paul says, are forgiven. Now, what does forgiven mean? Well, in the, in the Old Testament, the idea of forgiveness is to, is to lift off absolutely, not partial. Lift off absolutely. You take all of your sin and drop it into a big old bucket, and it's lifted totally off of you. That's the idea. The New Testament, it means to send away completely. So you not only lift it off, but you chunk it. How far? As far as east is from the west, the Bible says. Now, that's a pretty good ways, okay? You chunk it. He chunks it away. What about the word covered that both of them use? Blessed are those whose sin is covered. Well, in the Old Testament, the idea is to fill up completely, kind of like taking a, a little rock, pebble, and dropping it into a bucket of water. The water covers it completely. That's the Old Testament idea. New Testament, it means to conceal, okay, to, to 
to hide in a sense. Now let me ask you, do you understand what these verses are telling us, do you? David and Paul both tell us that when sin is forgiven, sin is forgotten forever. I was talking to someone the other day. I said, God has one problem. He's wrong in one area. And they, you heretic? What are you saying? I said, God's got a memory problem. He forgets a lot. And you see, what they're telling us is that God forgives, but God forgets forever. Ever, ever, ever. Your sin is lifted, sent away. It's covered and concealed for eternity. That's radical, gang. For you see, humans can't quite get their head around free grace. Not cheap grace, free grace. Listen to what God says in Jeremiah 31. I will forgive their wickedness. I will remember their sins no more. You know what no more means? It means no more. Yeah. And so I just imagine, if you're anything like me, I just imagine that everyone in this room today is suffering from some kind of guilt. Our minds keep returning to some kind of wrong. It haunts us. The enemy keeps throwing it back into our face. It robs our victory. It kills our joy. And David knew that. And David lived it. And he got through it, and he's writing about it. Last week I mentioned to you that David went from a dead man walking. Today I'm going to tell you he moved to a live man living. Because his sin, which was so bad, gang, it was bad, wasn't it? Lust, adultery, murder, three of the ten. It was so bad. He went from a dead man to a living man because he knew that God granted to him forgiveness for all of eternity. Some of us need to learn that truth today. Some of us need to get on with a life worth living for the glory and the honor of God. Not a license to go out and say, I can sin more because grace covers. That's prostituting grace. We need to understand it and get on with life because the greatest motivation of forgiveness of God's grace is that we be holy and pure and blameless before Him in love because of what He's granted to us. We ought to live like we've been forgiven. Now let's be real careful, okay? Because this lifting and carrying way is not cheap. It requires a sovereign work by a sovereign God giving to us sovereign grace which required the death of his son, which required a blood sacrifice. Man can't do this. Man has no ability to do this. Only God can do this. That's why this man-centered salvation that's being taught today in our churches is a lie. 
Man, we're in a we're in a Christian church culture crisis today. Because what's being taught is salvation is up to you. Do whatever you want to do and then come and say a little prayer and it's okay. The Bible doesn't say that. God salvation, forgiveness has to come from God to you. Now David put it this way in the Psalm verse 2 does not, and there's that term, impute iniquity. Paul in Romans says it this way, verse 6, God reckons us righteous, verse 8, God does not take or impute into our account our sin. Let me tell you, Old Testament, New Testament, carry the same thought with the same words. Now listen carefully. Paul says, God will not take inventory, God will not calculate your sin. David says it this way, God will not compute, God will not regard your sin. Imputation is a, is a financial term that means God will or will not write into your account or deposit into your account something. And while we as sinners realize we deserve the just condemnation of our lives. The Bible says God will not impute into us our sin, but he does impute into us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, i got to tell you something that, that really bothered me two weeks ago. When we were looking in 2 Samuel, and, and Nathan comes, remember the story, and confronts David and uses the parable, and David's so caught up in his cover-up, doesn't even realize it's about him. And when the truth of it hits him, all the scriptures say to us, uh, he says, I've sinned. That's it. And he says, Nathan says, you're forgiven. And it seemed to me so cheap. And it seemed to me so easy. But when you begin reading these psalms, you realize that it's not easy. That there had to be a very serious transaction. He sinned, he was forgiven. But it's far deeper. For you see, his forgiveness had to be from God down to David. could never be David up to God. It had to be from a throne where a king was sitting, looking down on a broken and repentant sinner. It had to be from a pure, holy sacrifice. That's why he said, hyssop. Cleanse me with hyssop. Because he knew, David knew there had to be a blood sacrifice. Oh, dear people, listen. Justification by faith alone is solely, totally a work from heaven, from God alone. And it was accomplished on the cross by the righteousness of Christ. And that's the only basis of our righteousness, our right standing before God. Now I want you to go with, back to Romans. Flip over back over to Romans. I know we're going back and forth a little bit. But I want you to go back because I want to show you something that's incredibly important here, okay? I've tried to define for you what imputation is. It's the deposit or not deposit. Are you with, everybody get that? Is that clear as mud or clear as a bell? Thank you. Okay. 
we got that, right? Because it's important now. Okay. We understand what imputation is. Look at verse 6. This is positive imputation. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man whom God deposits, credits, imputes righteousness apart from works. That's a positive imputation. God takes something and God imputes it, God deposits it to you. Verse 8 is a negative imputation. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not impute into your account, does not reckon, does not credit into your account. Now listen, sinners, forgiven sinners, here's what God says. God deposits into your account the merits of Jesus Christ and his perfect sinlessness. And he does not deposit into your account the merits of your sinfulness and imputation must, it can only be from the work of a sovereign God in sovereign grace, or it can never be forgiveness. If you add one little drop of work in it, then it would cease to be grace, and it could not be by imputation. One has said this, if you bring one drop of your righteousness into it, you repudiate the gospel. Calvin called it an alien righteousness, and a righteousness not of our own, but a righteousness that's from the outside that's been deposited into us. Our God does not give us what we deserve, that's mercy. God does give us what we don't deserve, that's grace. That's why forgiveness is so radical. It doesn't make sense to us. We can't compute it in our minds. That's why so many Christians still carry so much guilt even though their sin has been buried in the depths of the sea never to be recalled. We keep recalling. Why do we keep recalling it? Tom, why is it ever in front of your face? Why do you keep drawing it back? Why do you keep wrestling with it? Buried in the depths of the sea, Tom. As far as east is from the west, not north to south. If you go north, you got to stop and go south, right? If you go east, guess what? You keep on going east. And you always go east. As far as east is from the west, Tom, your sin has been forgiven you. God has covered it. God has sent it away through his son. And yet it seems like we keep recalling it. David, I want to tell you, I don't think anybody in this room has ever felt quite as bad as David. Hmm? But at the end, he could proclaim that he had been restored by God's holy righteousness. Remember this. If you're saved, it's because of the righteousness of Jesus. It's because that he has transferred his righteousness to your account, and he has not deposited into your account your sinfulness. And live like it, folks. Never, never, never 
will he ever bring it up again? So don't keep bringing it back up in your life. If he doesn't, then we shouldn't. And we ought to live like it. We ought to be praying like David talks about. We ought to be singing. Yeah, even sing. I mean, I sing because I don't have, not that I got a voice. I sing because I got a song, right? Man, you've been for redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. Redeemed. I feel like singing. By the blood of the Lamb. See, we ought to be singing the song of redemption because of what Christ has done, what God has deposited into us and what he has not deposited into us. And that's the doctrine of imputation. One of my favorite authors is, is a Presbyterian guy, and he's dead now, and a great preacher, great writer, James Montgomery Boyce. And I want to read to you how he put it. It's incredible. Every time I, every time I read from these guys, I always say, well, how come I didn't do that, you know? But they're just eggheads. They're smart. Here's what he wrote. God writes our sin into Christ's ledger and punishes it in him, while at the same time writes the righteousness of Christ into our ledger and reckons us justified on his merit. Did you get that, huh? God writes our sin into Christ, deposits our sin into Christ's account, and then punishes him, and then he takes the righteousness of Christ and deposits it in our account and declares us justified, not guilty. Incredible, isn't it? Go back to Psalms, and let me close up with a few things, okay? Psalm 32, let's, we'll close there. Let me remind you that David now has broken three of the Ten Commandments, had a big impact in his life, worthy of death, and he knows it. Look at verse 3 and 4. When I kept silent about it, my body wasted, I groaned all day long, Day and night, God's hand was heavy upon him. My energy, my vitality was drained away as with the fervor heat of summer. A sinner who has not confessed, has not repented, loses their vitality for life. They don't want to do nothing because they're waiting for the axe to fall, see. But he acknowledged his sin. He was forgiven of his sin. That's why he could finish writing that, he was restored and renewed. That's the nature of the doctrine of imputation, both in a negative sense and a positive sense. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have been granted repentance, and if you, and if you have been granted faith from Almighty God, then that applies to you as well. David rejoiced again. When's the last time you've rejoiced, huh? David shouted again. When's the last time he shouted, huh? I love verse 6 and 7. Therefore, let everyone who is godly, how is he godly? He's godly because of the imputed righteousness of God, of Christ, right? He's not godly on his own. You're not godly on your own. I'm not godly. I'm godly because of Christ, the imputation. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a great 
a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You're my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of of deliverance. When's the last time you sang, group? Huh? When's the last time you shouted for God because of his great mercy and because of his great grace? Several weeks ago, I, uh, I think I mentioned to you about St. Augustine of Hippo. St. Augustine was one of our early church fathers, uh, lived in the 400s, 500s, something along that. Psalm 32 was his favorite psalm. And when he was on his deathbed, he had the words of Psalm 32 uh, put on the wall beside his bed so that he could read it and meditate on the psalm. St. Augustine had lived a tough life. Before he came to know Christ, he was like a lot of us, renegades. I know you look so pretty, smell so good. But the fact is you're a bunch of renegades, isn't that right? Huh? Come on. Yeah, we are. So is he. But God so marvelously took possession of his soul, granted him forgiveness. And so while he was dying, he wanted that psalm so that he could read it and meditate on it. And they said the reason he liked it, because he would say this, the beginning of knowledge is to know one's self to be a sinner. The beginning of knowledge is to know oneself to be a sinner. Well, the last three weeks, we've tried to look at David's life a little. I hope you've come to see that David knew himself to be a sinner and that he came to appreciate God's forgiveness. Totally gone. So I've got two questions. Number one, do you know yourself to be a sinner? Do you? Number two, do you understand what forgiveness really is? It's not about you at all. It's all about God. I was, uh, Friday, I uh, went out to the gun range to shoot my pistol. I've always had this dream to be John Wayne on stilts. And I... uh, I had a few moments, so I went out to the gun range to shoot my pistol. And it was just me and another guy there, an older guy. And, uh, and so we would take a break from shooting because if you're by yourself, you shoot up $100 worth of shells in like 10 minutes, then you're broke and you go home. So we would stop and talk. And he's, uh, he's from North Little Rock, military kind of guy. And so I decided, you know, maybe this is a divine appointment. And so I uh, began to talk to him a little bit about the Lord and asked me if he went to church anywhere. And he said, no, I don't like church. And I said, you know, well, I don't like some of them. I like mine. And uh, he said, well, I, when I was a kid, my mama made me, grow, made me go to church. You've heard that, you know. So I, he said, I rebelled. He said, I ain't, I ain't going to church anymore. And I said, well... Um, do you believe in God? He said, yeah. And I said, well, if you believe in God, then you believe in heaven and hell, right? He said, yeah. And he said, if I do my best, I'll get there. I said, well, what if I tell you that the Bible says that has nothing to do with where you end up 
my goal was to get to it's all by grace. I didn't quite get there. And uh, he said, well, he said, you know, if I go to hell, he said, one thing about it, he said, I'll get to shake a lot of hands with my friends down there. And I never heard anybody say that before. So as loving as I knew how, I said, do you think in hell you're going to go around slapping each other's backs and shaking hands and drinking suds? Do you think that's what hell is? I said, if you knew what hell was like, if you knew what sin was like, you'd be trying to find a solution to your problem. And I said, you don't want to go to hell. It scares the fire out of me Think about people going to hell. If you had any concept of hell, any concept of sin, you wouldn't even want to go there. And you know what he said? I need to shoot my gun. That ended it. I wonder how many people that you know are like that. Huh? How many people do you know understand that Christ didn't deposit into your account your sin. He deposited into your account the righteousness of the Son who hung on a cross, who was humiliated and bled and died. Your account is pure because of Him. And the bad stuff is in the depths of the sea, never to be recalled. That ought to change our lives. That ought to change the motivation by, by what we do. It ought to add a shout from our lips, a jump in our step, an intensity in our prayer. And it ought to enthrall our worship, because we're worshiping the King of glory, and He's given to us. Now, I told you my goal was that when you walk out of here, you got a better understanding of the doctrine of imputation and the joy of forgiveness. If you don't, it's your fault. I may be mine, but don't leave here without getting that part of the forgiveness right. Because that's what the blood is all about. Father, I love you. I understand David. We should understand David. Because we're no different. It's hard for us to understand forgiveness. But God, we need to, because that's what happened on the cross. That's why this Savior bled and died. And somehow, God, we got to take that knowledge and make it work for us in our lives today. We ought to live in the victory that is ours in the righteousness of Jesus Christ deposited into our account. God, I'm thankful you don't look at me and see my sin. I'm so thankful that you look at me and you see my Savior. And I pray today that my dear people here can say the very same thing. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's